Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. It is my privilege to introduce to you our guest speaker today, Ben Abbott, lead planter of Multiply Christian Church. Ben served on staff here from 2014 to 2017 as discipleship minister, after which he went back to school to receive his master's degree, and then he was called to plant a church in Winter Haven, Florida. So him and his wife Jody and three kids, Maddie, Micah, and Noah, moved to Winter Haven, where they have been meeting every week, planting this church. Their launch is scheduled for February of 2020 to launch and open the doors, although they are currently meeting and inviting people and uh, making disciples now. Uh, They officially launched 2020. Uh, Ben and Multiply Christian Church are part of our missions budget where we are helping to support a church plant in Winter Haven, Florida. And uh, believe it or not, Wilmington, Ohio is helping to make disciples in Winter Haven, Florida through Multiply Christian Church. Please welcome... Ben Abbott. Hey, haven't given you a hug yet. How you doing? I'm not a hugger. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, Puerto Ricans will do that to you. When I moved down to Winter Haven, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans, and they all hug. And just after a while, they break down the walls. How about Dale McCamish, your senior minister, huh? Man, what a great introduction that was. And... Uh, so glad and so excited to be here with you this morning. I'm going to move a little closer if that's all right. I feel like you're all far away. Um, before I begin, I wanted to take a minute just to thank the church for supporting us down in Winter Haven, Florida, and thanks to the elders and to the missions team and, and to the individuals here who are supporting us as well. Thank you so much. God is doing some amazing things in Florida, and I can't wait to tell you more about it. I mean, God's people are really just marked by their love, their faithful prayer, and generosity, and all those things are represented here today. Now, I got to tell you this crazy little story. There's this man, he looks at his clock, and it's 7.07 a.m., okay? 7.07. He gets out of bed, he goes downstairs, and he glances at his calendar, and guess what day it is? It's July 7th, which is the seventh day of the seventh month, okay? So he goes and steps outside. He notices bus number seven comes driving down the road. He goes over to Combs Bakery. He gets himself a half a dozen donuts and a coffee. And he looks inside the box. And don't you know that, you know, Mr. Combs, who was nice that day, and he gave him seven donuts instead of six. And he's thinking, hmm, all these sevens, it must mean something. I think the universe is trying to tell me something. So feeling that today might be his lucky day, the man cuts out of work seven hours early and goes to the racetrack. And he reads the racing schedule and he sees that in the seventh race, the seventh horse is called Lucky Universe. And he says, oh, I can't believe it. So he runs up to the teller, he bets all his money on that horse, and it comes in seventh place. You know, sometimes we can read all the clues that are given to us in the universe and still make the wrong decision. And I believe the same thing happens with church and with our faith sometimes. Now, there's a Christian pastor and author. 
He's a disciple maker. His name is Dr. Dan Greider. He lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. And he wrote a book recently called Starfish Movement. Now, in that book, he explained some clues that he noticed in the book of Acts. And it, it got him thinking about the importance of conducting spiritual conversations. And it all started in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it goes on from there. It seems that in almost every chapter of the book of Acts, in verse 42, it's talking about someone sharing their faith. And he calls the principle the principle of the 42s. So if you would, just take a look with me real quick. Acts 2.42, it talks about learning from the apostles, right? So people are learning from the apostles. What are the apostles teaching? Well, they're teaching about what it was like to be with Jesus. You're teaching all about, you know, what God has done with, the, you know, their lives and how their lives have changed. I mean, at one time, these are the people running away from the Romans when Jesus was arrested and crucified. Now they're running towards danger because God has changed their life because they saw the risen Savior. Amen? So we see this huge life change, and this is what they're telling people, their testimony. And then in chapter 5, verse 42, it says they were teaching and preaching the good news. Again, they're going and, and telling about what Jesus has done and the good news of the Savior. Then all the way in chapter 9, verse 42, it says the news spread. Well, what was the news about? Well, it was about Jesus. It was about what he was doing in their life. And it was about how he rose again, taking on sin and death and forever destroying it. And then finally in Acts 13, verse 42, we see that the people there are invited to tell more about Jesus. And Dan realized that he had read these verses time and time again, yet this time he was amazed at what he read. The simple truth was people were sharing their faith, and it was through their testimonies that they learned the art of spiritual conversations. Now, sometimes spiritual conversations lead to gospel conversations. And other times they lead to baptism and healing, like we saw with those three folks being baptized here. What a wonderful thing to come back and see that um, on my first Sunday here with you, seeing that, you know, folks being baptized, hearing the good news, responding to it, and starting on their Christian journey. I applaud you for that, and I, I pray that you come around these new Christians and help them in their um, new life as Christ followers. Now, consider the spiritual conversation that Philip conducted with an Ethiopian official. It's recorded in Acts verse, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 29 through 38. It said, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up to the carriage and sit with him. Now you see that? Philip is now instructing this person in the scriptures. Sounds like discipleship to me. The passage of scripture he had been reading was from um, Isaiah chapter 53. And it says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, 
was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus. And they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered that the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I think that's an amazing account. And I hope you get excited when you read that account. See, Philip in this story is not the apostle Philip. Philip is an ordinary yet mature believer in Christ. And we first meet him in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the seven mature and wise men appointed to care for the poor in Jerusalem. A lot of times we call these the first seven deacons of the church. And his story of evangelism is recorded here in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, even though he's not an apostle. But I think it's recorded here for a reason. It's to support the idea that you don't need to be an apostle. You don't need to be a seminary graduate. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to share your faith. You just need to do three things, and it's all right here in that text. Listen to the Holy Spirit. It's the first thing in Verse 29, remember the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go, and he did. Because in verse 30, he obeyed, and he went up to that chariot. And then in verse uh, 35 and following, he conducted spiritual conversation with that man. So he listened to the Holy Spirit, he obeyed, and he conducted spiritual conversations. That's all you have to do. Now, most Christians here in North America, me included, we need to learn Philip's story. Because we've become masters at making the task of sharing our faith as complex and complicated as we possibly can. Right? I mean, think about it. Christianity worldwide is on the move. It's growing faster than the wildfires in California. Too soon? It's growing in Asia It's growing in Africa. It's growing in South America. It's growing in Australia, but not so fast in North America. If you would, turn in your Bible to Matthew 10, verse 16, or on your electronic device. We're going to look at a passage that I think holds some answers to evangelism. You know, in the early days of the church, The good news was not always well-received. And Jesus, as he sent out the 12, he gave them this following advice, starting in verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, if someone told you that, wouldn't you be a bit nervous? I'm sending you out into the middle of traffic. I'm sending you out into an active you know, bombing range. I'm sending you out into a place of danger. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. This just sounds like it's getting better and better. And on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. I'm thinking that's the last thing I'm worried about, right? 
flogging, um, be on your guard, uh, sheep, wolves, nasty teeth. Uh, last thing I'm worried about is what I'm going to say, but Jesus said, don't worry about that. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Right here, the principles of disciple-making are made simple. All we must do is learn to have an effective spiritual conversation. And God says the process is going to emerge. Spiritual conversations are the tool how we identify disciplable people. And when a new disciple emerges with that disciple-maker there, having that spiritual conversation, they face questions, inevitably, that they don't have answers for. The disciple-maker must learn to find the answers, guess where? In Scripture, in God's Word. And allow the Holy Spirit to develop a hunger in that new disciple for the answers and for that divine source of the answers. Now, briefly this morning... I want to walk through the simple process of the art of spiritual conversations so you can learn how to conduct them yourselves. And I want to give you the opportunity to practice a little bit. James says, without action, our faith is dead. So don't worry. It's not as scary as you think. We're in a semi-safe environment. You know, we're all friends here. If you're not a friend, you might want to leave now. We're in this safe environment. It's going to be okay. But number one, I must be a disciple to reproduce. Would you, would you say that with me? I must be a disciple to reproduce. Okay, you've, you've said it once. Now let's say it with gusto. I must be a disciple to reproduce. We have to get that in our minds. We have to be teachable. We have to be disciples following Jesus. It all begins with our willingness to be changed by the Holy Spirit, to be receptive to God's guidance in our life. You know, it's amazing to me that our God, who is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he does not impose his will on us right away. He's all-powerful. He could make us do whatever he wants to do, but he doesn't do that. In this life, while we are alive, we have free will. We can choose God or we can not choose God. That's our choice, but it's only for a limited time. It's only during this life. Once we die, that's it. Now God's will is fully enforced, and you're going to go one place or another. Some people say smoking. Some people say non-smoking. Um, however you want to decide it, if you don't believe that hell is real, guess what? You're wrong. Hell is real, and so is heaven. So let's not think about the scary place, let's think about the wonderful good place and not like that show on TV. <laughs> They're sneaky. Now, to make disciples, we have to be a disciple. We have to be a follower of God. We must learn to listen to God's voice and follow him obediently. And this principle carried out in my life means that I will change what I care about. It's no longer me first, but now it's God first. I will make God the priority in my life because I want to be a disciple. 
I'll tell you this brief story. You know, I was uh, sitting in my car, my wife, Jody, many of you know her, and we're sitting in the car, and she went into the store, and I didn't feel like going in. So I sat there, and next to me was a car with a fellow in it, and the door, uh, window on his door was down, and I felt this urge that God was telling me, go talk to him. I waited for Jody to come, get in the car, and I drove somewhere else. <laughs> Don't you know, that guy pulled in next to me in the new parking spot. Jody goes into the new store. I'm sitting there, and I'm feeling this conviction. You need to talk to this guy. So I wait for Jody to come out of the store. She gets in the car, and I drive away. And we went and stopped a couple places, and then we decided to stop and get ice cream. I pulled in to the parking lot with the only space open. Guess what? It's that same guy in his car with his window down, and he's looking at me. And I didn't talk to him. And you know what? This heaviness came on me. I realized that God was pushing me, and I didn't listen. I was not obeying God. I was not obeying the Holy Spirit. I was not being a disciple, and I wish I had a better ending to this story. I could tell you, you know, he became the next Billy Graham or something. But I wasn't faithful. I didn't follow through. How many times do we have opportunities in our life where we feel like, you know what, I need to reveal that I'm a Christian. I need to tell this person about Jesus Christ. They're sad. They're, you know, scared. They're going through something in life that's horrible. And instead of me stepping in and telling them about my faith, I keep quiet. It happens to all of us sometimes. And all I can do is ask God to forgive me and give me another opportunity. And if I pull into that parking spot next to that guy next time, I promise, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to talk to him. Number two, spiritual conversations are the key to launching a movement. Spiritual conversations are the key to launching a movement. Say that with me. Spiritual conversations are the key to launching a movement. See, we don't want to just see addition. We don't want to just see God adding one or two or three or five to our church. We want to see multiplication start happening. Yes? I mean, when we start seeing two times, five times, ten times, then we start seeing what happened in the early book of Acts with the early church. We see the, the church start to multiply. The Apostle Paul taught in Romans 10, verse 13 through 15, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, Paul is saying, if the process doesn't start with a spiritual conversation, it's not going to start at all. And by obeying Jesus' command to simply go and make disciples, we avoid all the pitfalls of dogma and doctrines and denominations. We just start doing what Jesus asks us to do. Spiritual conversations are the most valuable tool for making disciples. It's got to start somewhere. We got to take this secret and let it out. We got to tell people about our faith. It's the primary tool of the early church. The early church had no Bible. They had little training. And they had very sparse organization. They didn't have any events for the curious. 
They didn't have any video announcements. didn't have any shiny concrete floors. They had nothing like that. And by the way, it looks fantastic. The kitchen, too. Did you see the floor in there? Anyway, they didn't have any of that. They just had their testimony. They just had, you know, uh, what God was laying on their hearts about what God was doing in their life. They engaged in spiritual conversations. So here's a few pointers from Dan Greider's book, which is called Starfish Movement. He says, spiritual conversations are not discussions about churches or programs or worship styles. That's not a spiritual conversation. He says, spiritual conversations are not superficial invitations to a church service. It's not debates, apologetic or theological. And I know a lot of us love the Creation Museum and the Ark and all that stuff. It's great. But you know what? You're never going to argue someone into heaven. You just won't. I guarantee you. You don't believe me? Let's argue about it. Right? It just doesn't happen that way. And having theological debates with someone isn't going to inspire faith. It's not our opportunity to talk a lot. Make your spiritual conversations simple. And make Jesus the main topic of your spiritual conversation. Remove all the little details, the specific details, and make it neutral. Make it relatable. Avoid insider language, Dan says. He says, don't use Christian code words. You know, people don't know, um, you know, what a fellowship meal is or a potluck. Or they, they don't know what that stuff sounds like. And you know what? Sometimes when we talk about communion and eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood, doesn't that sound a little scary? If you were outside the church and someone said, hey, why don't you come with me? We're going to go drink Jesus' blood and eat his flesh. Wouldn't that freak you out? It probably should. We're so comfortable with it and with other things we say in the church that it just comes out of us. And people outside the church, they don't know what we're talking about. So keep the Christian ease as much as possible out of your spiritual conversation. Avoid controversial topics like politics when you share your, share your story. You know, when you're going out to share a story, maybe having a Trump hat on is not the right idea. I have no problem with if you want to wear a Trump hat or not. The thing is, right about 50% of our country right now is split down the middle between Republicans and Democrats. No matter which side of the fence you fall on, you don't want to lose 50% of your audience, right? To stay away from it. You know, if you come be friends and later on down the road you want to talk about that stuff, that's fine. But these initial spiritual conversations, we got to try to keep them neutral. And remember, the stories aren't about you. They're about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And Jesus, he has to be the hero of the story, not you. And when you're looking to have a conversation, look for people who are going through transitions in life. A lot of times when something's happening, new job, new house, new place to live, people are more open and susceptible to talking about spiritual conversation. Look for people who are dealing with pain or unexpected circumstances, who are going through conflict. Look for people who are experiencing a spiritual movement in their lives. To, of course, be on the lookout for those people brought into your life by the Holy Spirit. And we need to learn 
to ask more questions than to give more statements. Did you know that Jesus almost never answered a question? He always answered the questions with a question. I think there's only two times he gave a direct answer. The rest of the time, he always asked questions. Did you notice that? I think there's 233 times where Jesus asks a question in response to a question in the Gospels. And that's a principle that we can use too. One of them is called innocent awe questions. So instead of debating Islam with someone, ask them to tell you about it and their faith and how it's enriching their lives. You know what? They're not going to get very far, but they're going to tell you about their experience. And while you listen to them, you build credibility with them. They know that you're not just trying to put something in their face, but you're actually listening to them and engaging them in a meaningful conversation. It's amazing how much you can learn and how wide God will open the door if we first seek to listen and ask questions. And number two is obvious questions. I think little kids are the best at this. You know, mommy, why is that guy so fat? You know, she might say. And he's like, shh, you know. But, you know, we could do the same thing. You know, I see you that you're wearing a cross. Are you a Christian? Oh, no, my grandma gave me this cross when she died. And, you know, I just wear it. And, oh, okay, well, well tell me about your grandma. Where did you go to church? And next thing you know, you're into this conversation. Just because you asked an innocent question. You know, hey, uh, what happened to, you know, your arm? I see you have this, you know, big scar, you know. You could just ask these innocent questions. You can ask these obvious questions, and you can start a conversation. Now, in a moment, I'm going to have you stand up and find someone that you don't know well, and I want you to tell them your story of faith in one to two minutes. Now, that's way too long, but we're going to start with the bar low. You know, someday you can get down to 30 seconds, tell someone, you know, your story, but right now we're going to take one or two minutes the other person is going to have a chance to do the same. And afterward, just kind of give each other a little assessment. You know, how well did you do? You know, telling your story. Was it about you? Was it about Jesus? You know, did it really help? And uh, we're going to put these testimonies, uh, some helps on the screen, so you, you can use them. All you have to do is say, my life before Christ, I was like, when I surrendered to Christ, this happened. And since following Christ, this happened. Right? Something like that. As an example, before I was a Christian, man, I was angry all the time. I, I just, I lost my temper. But then I found Christ. And through his work in my life, I learned how to curb my tongue a little bit. And I mean, I still mess up sometimes. But you know, since I've been a Christian, I find that those times become less and less. And there's a gap further and further apart. And, and now I have you know, really good relationships with people that before I used to fly off the handle with. Jesus did that. He transformed me. Now, so really if you can remember, my life before Christ, when I surrendered to Christ, and since people, I've been following Christ. People that we can so share our spiritual conversations with. You know, if we don't practice, when the opportunity the arises, we're well not going to be ready. We're not going to be ready to go and share our faith. So it's good that we could practice in this safe environment. And hopefully you'll keep doing that with some people you know. Go home and talk to, you know, someone in your family or a neighbor or somebody that you trust and work on your spiritual conversations. In your small groups, work on your spiritual conversations so you'll be ready. Peter says you always got to be ready with an answer for the joy that you've found. And we need to be ready with our answer. So finding these people who are discipleable, one of the ways we can do that is we can pray. 
God will reveal discipleable people when we pray. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We can pray for God to send us and to put opportunities in front of us. We can have this openness. We look for someone who's open. A discipleable person is open to the Holy Spirit. They're coachable. They're willing to be more like Jesus. In Acts 6, verse 3, when looking for those trustworthy, discipleable people, you know, like Philip, to oversee the distribution of food to church members, we read these words. It says, Choose those who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And then peace. When Jesus sent out the 12, and when he sent out the 72, the movement centered on the disciples finding a person of peace. Luke 10, 5 through 6. When you enter a house, he said, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Do you know what that means? It sounds a little bit ethereal, but really... Have you ever been to someone's house who didn't want you to be there? Mm-hmm. Did anyone ever come to your house you didn't want to be there? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a Kirby salesman. Yeah? <laughs> if you just let me in, and, and if I can just do my presentation, I'll get paid. I let this guy in. He talked to me for four hours. <laughs> Dude, I didn't want to, like, steal this guy's pay, but at the same time, I didn't want him in my house. And he could feel that his piece of the Kirby was not landing on me. He should have taken his Kirby and left as soon as he figured that out, but he was trying to make a sale. It's the same thing when we're sharing our faith. If we go and someone is really not interested, you know. But if someone will allow you in, offer you a cup of tea, sit down and, and talk about God, well, then you know there's peace there. That's a person of peace. And we can work that relationship. And we can start, you know, um, barbecuing with them and spending more time with them and going to the mall with them or whatever you want to do. Spend time and talk about your faith. Now, if you don't find a person of peace, that's okay. Mark 6.11 says, you just move on. You shake the dust off your sandals or your shoes, and you just move right on. Don't hang around. Don't embrace the rejection. And to be honest, we don't have to go knocking door to door to share our faith. There's people in your life right now who need you to share their faith. Think about that. Ask God to reveal those people to you. You already have a relationship with them most of the time. Some of them you know, they're in your family, and they don't want to hear. There's no peace about sharing your faith with them. Don't waste your time there. You know, pray for them. Hopefully they'll change their mind at some time and be open. But you find that person maybe in your family, in your group of friends, who is open, and you share your faith with them. And when you find that person, stick with them. Don't go house to house. Cultivate that disciplable person. Cultivate the opportunities. Knowing that person opens things up as you start getting closer and they start, you know, getting on fire for Christ. They start saying, well, you know, I have a friend who needs to hear this too. Oh, you know who needs to hear that? You know, they say things like that. And next thing you know, the door is open. You have more than one person that you're talking to. Now, the last principle I want to mention this morning, it's vitally important. It's spending more time with fewer people, and that equals greater results. 
spending more time with fewer people equals greater results. Jesus could have spent all his time with thousands of people, and on occasion he did. But most of his time, we find him spending his time with just a few. And that is what changed the world. Luke 13, 6 through 8, Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and and I'll fertilize it, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. I don't know how many people are, you know, with a green thumb in here. I don't have a green thumb. It seems like anything I plant dies. But the idea here is sometimes it takes time, takes effort, to cultivate a relationship, to dig around it, to, you know, talk about the things that are, you know, holding up spiritual growth. Give it time. If they're open, even if they don't come around right away, fertilize, you know, um, do things to try to help them and, and um, bring them among other Christians and, and uh, do things to cultivate that relationship. So this morning, to gain traction as a discipler, We have to focus our intention on, first, being a disciple ourselves. Second, learning to have spiritual conversations. Third, identifying discipleable people. And fourth, spending more time with fewer people. Now, this is the environment we are attempting to build at Multiply Christian Church in Florida, the church that I am starting. We open Super Bowl Sunday which is February 2nd, 2020, so it's 02022020. It's on a Sunday. Everyone remembers Super Bowl Sunday. It's also Groundhog Day, so I can say the same thing over and over again. It'd be all right. (laughs) I have a little picture um, we can put up on the screen of the work we're doing. Um, The upper left corner, that is the front of the building. It's an octagon-shaped building with a little foyer attached to it. On the other side is the back side of the building. You can see in the upper right corner, there's like a lighter colored shingles. We had a lot of damage in hurricanes. And that building is in in pretty rough shape. The middle picture is like one of those panoramic things you do. And it's the sanctuary uh, building, which we're working on. And then the bottom is from where you're sitting, looking towards the stage. So the the middle one is the stage out. The bottom uh, bottom left is how it looks now. And then the bottom right is how we hope it will look uh, when we're done the renovations. We're starting working on the roof this Monday. It's exciting. We were able to get a loan. Um, It wasn't enough to really do all the work we needed to do. We have two buildings. We have the worship center, and then we have an education building where all the children meet. We also have a food pantry that feeds 250 families every month. It's there, and it's all kind of needing work. So... Part of me being here this morning is to tell you a little bit about the work that's going on that you're helping, you know, um, fund and and pray for and uh, encourage. But I'm also asking for some individuals, if 25 people this weekend will uh, be willing to partner with us for $5 a week, 
that's skipping the Kava house once a week or Kairos or Starbucks. Man, you guys got a Starbucks now. What happened? Man, I left too soon. And uh, if you could just, you know, partner with us, $5 a week, $20 a month, these contributions will help us set up a new nursery. It will help us make the food pantry kind of like their own thing on one side of the building, and it's going to help us have money to build classrooms uh, for our youth. We just don't have the funds to do that right now. So if 25 people would be willing to go to multiplychristian.com and click on the giving tab, um, that would be fantastic. And I'm not asking for the next foreseeable future forever. I'm only asking for four years, but even if it's just one year or one time, it would really help us out a lot. $5 a week is only $260 a year, but if you partner with us for four years, it's just over $1,000, so it adds up. So if you could help, that would be wonderful. We would be able to fund the mission and make more disciples for God's kingdom. So the last thing I want to say, just to remind you, to gain traction as a disciple maker, remember, we have to be a disciple ourselves. We have to learn to have spiritual conversations. We have to identify discipleable people, and we have to spend more time with fewer people so we can have greater results. Would you pray with me? Father God, it's so good to be here this morning and uh, just be here with my family, frankly. Uh, Father, it's, it's amazing uh, the journey you've taken my wife and my family and myself on to be doing this church planting. And Father, I'm just so thankful and so grateful that you're able to bring me here to tell the story a little bit about how we're doing discipleship, how we're starting these spiritual conversations. And Father, I just pray that you will light a fire in the hearts of the folks here in Wilmington, that they're going to see multiplication happen with them as more people take on disciple-making. It doesn't become, come to my church and one gets added or two gets added or three gets added. It becomes, you know, 50 people going out and bringing 50 people in. And then those 50 people finding 50 people. And the next thing you know, it's huge. And this whole town can be found for you, can be told the gospel story, who can be discipled. And Father, then it can go into the county, and then it can go into the state, and then who knows, Father? Because I know that you want to start a movement. You want to find everybody in the world in your kingdom. You haven't given the responsibility to anyone else but us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to follow the example of the rest of the world and, you know, take these resources you've blessed us with and put them towards disciple-making. So, Father, please bless those here this morning. Bless those who wanted to be here and couldn't make it. Watch over all of us as we leave this place later. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.